0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined, as always, by John and Logan. Today is episode number 81. On today's episode, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. We'll see what happens. just want to remind you that today's episode is also brought to you by Shaper Tools. They're the makers of Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. Try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit Shaper Tools to learn more. Welcome. Mm-hmm. We're here is it
1: a welcome. It's early today. Okay. It is. I mean, like, but I will say it's been cool out. Like how nice has it been to wake up and have it be like low sixties yeah. versus waking up and having it be like 80
0: yeah, humid right. already. No, it's been very nice. It's like six days in a row of really pleasant weather.
1: Yeah. Yep. And we've gotten rain. I know there's a lot of people in the Midwest and all across the U S are going to be pissed that we got rain and they didn't, but in your face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but a lot of those people have mountains and oceans and lakes. That's true. And yeah. we have Iowa. We have cornfields.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I have a story for you guys. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm thinking maybe, I'm wondering if maybe it might spur something because it's, you know, we're kind of shooting from the hip this morning. So I was over at my buddy's place this weekend, uh, Sunday. Uh, He texted me and said, Hey, it's like, what are you doing? Sunday night? Let's I'll, I'll occasionally go over to, to my buddy Greg's shop and we'll just hang out in the shop and turn some stuff and, you know kind of dink around or whatever it's just it's good shop buddy time right mm-hmm. john's always talked about getting shop buddy mm-hmm. uh so i was over there and out of the blue greg says hey i need you to make a list of tools i need to buy what do you what do you mean he's like well he's like every year when our performance bonuses roll around I said, what's a performance bonus? Because we don't get those. Because
2: <laughs> we don't perform. <laughs>
1: well, I would say we'd probably have to pay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he said, oh, every time that performance bonus is rolled on, I set aside, you know, a couple thousand dollars out of the performance bonus to buy myself tools because he works a lot uh, in his position that he's in. Uh, he works a lot. They have a, a busy season. Um, kind of a cyclical busy season that they end up working 60 or 70 hour weeks. So he says, you know, kind of my reward to myself for working too much is buying tools. He's like, I always upgrade something in my shop. Now, Greg has done very well for himself professionally, um, works very hard, uh, has a one stall of his garage, is designated a shop, uh, it's set up very nicely, there's, you know, sliding barn doors in between the rest of his garage and, and his single stall uh, it's conditioned and stuff. I'm sitting there thinking like how hard it is to tell somebody what to buy when I'm at, you know, I'm kind of picking Greg's brain. Like, Hey, you know, what, what, what do you like to do? Like, mm-hmm. and I just, I guess what I was getting at is how, how hard of question that is to answer for somebody that you don't really. I mean, obviously, I'm friends with Greg, and I know what he likes to do. But I'm like, well, are you are you planning on doing any more flat work? Because he has a saw stop, um, a joiner, a planer. Uh, he has a one of the small Supermax drum sanders, like I think it's the 10 no, inch sure. wide version. Yeah, so it's a 1020. Um, I mean, so he has a, he has a nice Laguna band. So Like he he set up pretty well in his shop for doing flat work, but a large portion probably. I'd say a third to a half of his shop is turning stuff, uh, which is what we do when we go over there. He has a big, um, big Laguna lathe, a lot of pen turning stuff and a a smaller jet lathe than a lot of pen blank or a lot of turning blanks. Um, So I was, I was kind of picking his brain like, Hey, you know, like, are you planning on continuing flat work or are you going to concentrate on turning? Like when you get shop time, what do you do? He says, I turn. I said, okay, well, and was, we started talking about it and this ended up into like a two-day process. So like the other night, I went over to his house and I was helping move stuff around and he's selling a bunch of his stuff now. Like, oh. cause he's like, I don't, he's like my jointer. I, I said, well, initially when he told me this, he's like, you need a jointer. He's like, I got one. He's like, what? <laughs> he had a huge steel uh, steel city, like in the corner behind the dust collector. I never saw it. I mean, <laughs> I've been in the shop a dozen times, never saw it. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, so you need to get rid of this. If you're not going to, if you're not going to use it, get rid of it. And then if you decide down the road, you want to get back in the flat work. I think the space is better suited for a combo machine, at least in your, your one stall, he's interested in, um, upgrading his shop space to something like, uh, the president of the Des Moines Woodworkers club has a, uh, offsite building that he rents or he, he bought, he bought it. Yeah. Um, and Greg would like to do something like that. But I guess, is it, is it preemptive in your guys' opinion to, for somebody that has been in woodworking working for, you know, eight, nine years to decide that, you know what, no, I'm, I'm done with flat work for now, sell all the tools and concentrate on one craft, like turning or carving or, or something like that. Or... Is it, in your opinions, you have the tools? You might as well hold on to them in case you ever want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Phil shaking his head.
0: No, I would say that if you don't have a, if you don't have a current interest in it, especially for a couple of reasons. He's in a one stall garage. I yep. mean, it's plenty big for a shop, but can fill up pretty quickly. It you does. Know, yes. Like a jointer, you know, even a table saw can take up a lot of space pretty quick if you're not using mm-hmm. it a lot. So, and then it's one of those things where I feel like, at least for me, you know, obviously I can't specifically answer for another person, but if I'm not using it or don't see a use for it, then I feel like it's either being wasted or I have a subtle sense of guilt that I should use it,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and he probably would be better spent in having the space represent his interest so that when he walks into it, it's a, it's a sanctuary for him mm-hmm. and a place of creativity or whatever that he can do what he wants in there. I mean, cause you know, if you were to ever get into flat work stuff again, it's not like table saws are going out of style or anything. No, no. And I think he's,
1: I, I definitely think Greg will keep his, his saw stop that he has. Yeah. Um, but and that it's an interesting point because he said, "Well, what do you? We're moving his jointer. Uh, he has a big wall, like one wall of his shop. So one of the long, long walls in this one-story garage is a huge. It looks like a built-in with a miter saw station on it. So if you guys uh, have ever watched any of the Jay Bates and stuff, it's similar to that, where there's like cubbies behind it and stuff. Oh, he had yeah. all his turning stuff in there. Uh, but Greg did it nice. He, it's on wheels." So the entire like 12 foot section slides and rolls. Whoa. Yeah. There's like, there's like 14 casters under it. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) But we were moving the the joiner out. He's like, what do you think? Should I, should I get rid of this? And I said, Greg, when I have a tool that has this much dust on it, that's my sign to get rid of it. Yeah. You know, he's already gotten rid of it. He just still, he's gotten rid of it by shoving it into the corner.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: exactly. So what do you think, John? Coming from a, a shared shop space with your rest of your family, <laughs> what, uh, what's your opinion?
2: Uh, I think you could definitely live without a joiner. I don't have a joiner, and I do just fine. Um, so if he's not using that, definitely get rid of it. Um, the table saw, I mean, even when you're not using a table saw, it's still being used because it's a great place just to pile stuff
0: on <laughs> use it's as just, a workbench. That's and exactly
1: so, what we're doing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so... Well, for turning, you can just put a piece of hardboard over the top of it, and now it's like a finishing table. That's true. That is true.
1: Yeah. Well, and we talked about kind of – it was interesting because it led down a discussion of, like, what can he do to minimize the footprint of some of the machines in his shop? Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, when he was asking what he needed to buy, I said, well, I was like, Greg, at this point, you have more tools than anybody can want, basically. I was like, now anything you're buying is just that – really nice to have like fluffy stuff you know it's like we're looking at his you know we kind of narrowed it down to he wanted to spend the money on turning stuff because that's what he does that's what he enjoys that's what we do together yeah and so it's like well you know you got the lathe you have more chucks than you know the woodsmith store has in stock you know it's like at this point anything you'd buy would be that really nice like you don't always use it but when you need it it's really nice like a hollowing system or a coring right. system or you know a, he had a vacuum chuck but there's better vacuum chucks out there i mean just a lot of that type of stuff but he we started going down the the path of minimizing footprints of stuff um to kind of gain the space so we were talking about his saw stop he has i think i think he has the bigger fence which is like the 52 inch fence i think oh yeah um and it's like, well, you have a, ra- a separate router table. You could put the router table in the wing of the table saw. That's yeah. going to save some space. Um, you know, he doesn't have a floor. He doesn't have a a good drill press. Um, which for turning, you don't necessarily need a decent. I mean, you don't really need a drill press for turning. Yeah. Most of the stuff you do, you can do with a hand drill um, or you drill it on the lathe in the chuck. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well. You know, if you, if you got a drill press, I would suggest a bench mounted drill press or bench top drill press, and then it can go under the wing of the table saw, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, it was a, it was a hard, you know, if, if I said, Hey, Phil, you know, here's five grand. I need you to buy me a bunch of tools. It's like, that's a hard (laughs) thing to do for somebody.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think once you have all the main tools, it's hard to just like say you need such and such tool. It's like, then you're just buying for need at that point if you need something specific for yeah. a project because then it's just like you're getting stuff to get stuff yeah so yeah it kind of just depends what you're doing
0: i would think that at some point then you would just you know maybe swap out some of the lower quality items that you got when you were just starting out because you didn't have a lot of money yeah you know so you're you're basically trading in and trading up yeah which is what is kind of what we ended up talking about um
1: he ended up. We kind of decided on the. There's a handful of tools that were gonna go. Um, like the jointer was gonna go. The the lunchbox planer was gonna go. The sander was gonna go. And then he had a couple of. He had like a 12 inch disc sander and one of the smaller. What are they like four by? I don't know four by forty belt sanders like. Oh the, yeah. You know combo ones. Yeah. So those were going to go, and that was going to free up a ton of space in the shop. Um, oh, sure. The one thing that Greg really likes to do when he does flat work is cutting boards. Oh, so he was talking about um, maybe maybe purchasing a bigger belt sander or drum sander yeah. that was on wheels, so it was easily movable, like <sighs> some of the like the Supermax. Oh, mm-hmm. you know whatever they are, the twenty forties or twenty five fifties are on wheels, so.
0: Yep. I, know, I could say
1: that I'm just kind of a, a I, guess I have too many wants that I'm always like I'm never gonna get it all I there's always stuff for me to buy <laughs> but
0: yeah okay. well it's also like what is the stuff I mean because I have a list of sort of dream tools that I think I want but mm-hmm. I don't know that I would actually use them
1: yes and that's the yeah but I, I guess with that. Here's another question as your shop space gets bigger. If it does, does your ability or willingness to get those tools that you might not actually use? Does that increase because you have the space then?
0: I think the temptation
1: is there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I could see that, um, you know, I, as the space gets bigger, the space becomes less valuable if that makes sense at least that's how i picture
0: yeah. it yeah i can see that I've, I've just noticed that in my shop i've really come to value open space yeah just being able to move around and um, i just have gotten rid of a bunch of stuff and it's nice to nice to feel that openness in there rather than having to like weave my way through different things and <laughs> i think i said that when we dropped your workbench off, fellas.
1: Like, oh my God, there's so much room in your shop now that there's (laughs) not a gentleman's dresser in there. Like, holy cow. Mm -hmm. Your shop feels huge.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I feel like I'm getting to that point too where I'm going to twist an ankle or something. Walking through my shop, there's just stuff on the floor and stuff everywhere. But yeah, I think I'm even getting to the point where maybe I need to start downsizing on carts. You know, I'm pretty cart rich. Right, right now yeah yeah it's a good
1: time we, to, had a, we had a couple company auctions where you bought a lot of carts. Right.
2: yeah i was trying like, to uh monopolize all the casters and, and drive caster <laughs> prices up well which i think i've done yeah. so it's a good time to divest <laughs> you know liquidate some carts and mm-hmm. gain some floor space so yeah
1: we thought we thought during the uh woodworking the pandemic, the woodworking casters were going to go through the roof, not yep. the toilet paper. Yep. Right, <laughs>
2: I was squatting on casters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: uh, but so that's funny. Yeah,
2: and I've always. Oh, but I also wa- think. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I, I, I've always kind of wanted to, uh, uh, like you said, put the uh, router table into the footprint of the table saw too, and so I can get rid of my router table and have that all in one footprint. So get some
0: space back, but someday it's very nice. Yeah, I will admit. I also think it's kind of easy to do. It's easy to do a magazine article on X tools that you need, or when you start woodworking, these are the setting up shop tools that you need. But when you start thinking about it in real life, it becomes a lot harder to know yeah. exactly what somebody wants to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think every, everything, everybody is unique, like, you know, not to keep folks on my buddy Greg, but because this is what him and I just did, you know, I asked him, I was like, well, tell me when you go to make cutting boards, where are you buying your stock? Like, do you need your joiner? Do you need your planer? He's like, no, he's like, I, he's like, I get so little shop time um, because of his work life. Yeah. And uh, and he has a family and stuff. Like he's like, I just don't I have the shop time when I'm ready to work. I'm not going in and flattening and surfacing roughs on stock. Right. He's like, what I'm doing is I'm going to the wisdom store and buying S4S stock. He's like, mm-hmm. I know I'm paying the significantly more And a significant amount more for the S4S stock, but I can just hack it up, glue it together, make cutting board. Right. I said, Hey, that's fair. If that's what you're doing, then you don't need the joiner planer. Yeah. Now, when you got a buddy like me that just keeps bringing you roughs on lumber.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then a joiner planer helps.
1: Yeah. But so, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Like it's like all these um, people that do segmented turning. That, I see they they have a complete like shop setup. They don't do anything else. They do nothing else right. besides turning, but they're doing segmented turning, which becomes a weird blend of like making a cutting board and turning it because <laughs> you're cutting apart all these little tiny pieces yeah. at super accurate angles to glue them back together to make a bowl. Yeah,
0: it's
1: like oh okay. I mean, I guess if that's your niche that you want to do, then yeah, you probably need the joiner, you probably need the planer, you probably need a table saw yeah but if I was going to retire tomorrow i would I would be like, I would go complete you know Bill Carter and have a garden shed with a lathe in it mm-hmm. and that'd yeah. be it all yeah, right. no air,
2: yeah,
1: something I just open the door and blow it out, yeah yep,
2: yeah. so if all you' are going to do is turning, would you have your all your lathe stuff and then maybe just a bandsaw to break down yep, you know rough and the battery powered side.
1: chainsaw, right yep, yep. exactly. That's exactly what I'd have. Although, I'm kind of over the battery-powered chainsaw thing. I got on that kick for a while. Yeah, you did. I know. And it was great until I bought a big boy chainsaw. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, this is what fast is. (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. there's, There's something to be said for running a chainsaw in your shop and hacking up a bowl blank. Yeah. Or even if you have a blank mounted on the lathe and it's super out of balance. You can grab that battery powered chainsaw and just zip a corner off of it quick. Um, You get a little sleepy when you do that with a gas powered chainsaw in your shop. (laughs) (laughs) It's
2: like, I'm just
0: going to hit the snooze button right here. (laughs) 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 So So you take the corner off it with the chainsaw while it's running then? That's right. While it's turning. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I actually, I have a friend here in town that, uh, he has bought, he bought some wood from me, I've given him some wood too, and he's a, ve- I mean, extremely talented guy and I've seen him texture bowls um, with a chainsaw as late is running, um, All right. and, Andy does a bunch of pow- He does a bunch of like chainsaw carving and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, he does tree work for a living. So he knows his way around a chainsaw, but the amount of flack he caught on some of the Facebook groups. About how unsafe that is, it's like settle down, peeps. Like <laughs> settle down. I, mean, I get it. I get it. Yeah, right. But settle down.
2: Stand back. I'm a professional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So maybe we can devote a whole episode to the safety police. No.
1: It's just like the, you know, all right.
0: So this is, uh,
1: what grinds my chisels with Logan over the last, what, two weeks, three weeks, we've gotten a handful of emails cause I've had, I must've had some turning videos go out somewhere, boy. Yeah. And I got some videos about how you should not drive in a drive spur with a metal hammer. Like that is shop class one oh one. Well, listen here. I didn't have turning in shop class.
0: <laughs> Second off,
1: drive spurs are fully hardened now, so you're not going to mushroom them. And if they're not hardened, the manufacturer stepped down that butt end of them. So if they do mushroom, they're still inside the Morse taper. Yeah. Butt heads. <laughs> so, gosh, I had so many people email me saying, hey, you should never use a metal hammer to drive in your drive spur. Because it's going to mushroom and scar up your Morse Taper. Just yeah, tap I get it. it. If I'm in the 70s, it would. Manufacturers are smarter.
2: Okay. Because they know people they know the metal hammers.
1: Right. <laughs> they know that dummies like me are right, grabbing a metal yeah. hammer. All right. Yeah. Ugh. I just run the podcast for me. There we go. <laughs>
2: Let's just sit here quietly then. Yes. <laughs> Reflect. I <laughs>
1: have to
0: find our center now. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know what I, you know what I do like fully totally off the woodworking topic. I like how I have adopted a bunch of plants behind me. Mm-hmm. Like Becky has brought all these plants in and it really makes my, it makes my office feel more jungle. like. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So. Didn't need that sun.
0: Of, I know. Which is funny. Cause I have almost exactly the same plant.
2: Did Becky bring those in too or Yep. Yep. I just Somehow. came in.
0: You've adopted plants. I yep. came into my office one day and I'm like, whoa! My <laughs> other <laughs> office plant had a child. I don't know yes. what.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. But yep. So this podcast brought to you by Earl May. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, what does he have for turning tools? Your friend. Yes. Is, is, oh, he's got them all. Oh, okay. I yes. didn't know if it was.
1: Yeah. It was funny because the first time I went over there, I was like, hey, Greg, I was like, do you have a chuck? Because if you don't, I'll bring one. He's like, yeah, 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 I got chuck. I was like, all right, well, which one do you got? He's like, oh, you got the Vic Mark. I said, oh, yeah, that's that's a good chuck. Like, that's one of the best chucks you could buy. I was like, which you know, which size Vicmark do you have? He said, all of them. I was like, oh. All right. I said, like, okay. Well, which size jaws do you have? All of them. He's like, I just ordered everything. Okay. Oh man. So, you now Greg's a he's a cool guy. I, I've really enjoyed hanging out with him uh, in the evenings on the weekend and turning stuff. Um, This was my creation last week when I was over there. Did a little hollow form. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was it was kind of fun. It's uh, I pulled the foot off here a second ago. I need to glue that on. But
0: they I, uh, uh, that form always looks like a Christmas ornament to me.
1: It does. I mean, if you turn it upside down, it'd be a complete Christmas ornament. Yeah. I was thinking it looked like a, uh, like a, um, lightning rod top kind of. Sure. You get the ball on the lightning rod or like Mm -hmm. a weather vane, or something.
0: Yep. Um, or like the onion dome on some Russian Orthodox church or something.
1: Exactly. So I need to glue these,
0: the foot and the, uh,
1: finial together because this finial is actually two pieces. It's, uh,
0: that on oh, yeah. top.
1: Cool. So I need to glue them all together. But uh, it was interesting because we were. Uh, this is actually a shout out to one of our other listeners. I can't get this one off now. Dang it. Made it too tight. Um, one of our other listeners, uh, Mike Elliott. He's down in a Tumwa. Uh, Tumwa One of the two. He's down there, down south. Uh, I, I, I went and bought some carving chisels from him um, a couple of months back. Oh, it might have been last summer, actually, and or no, it was early. This, it was earlier this summer. Um, yeah, so there we go. There's oh, that's model. cool. Yeah, um, but so I was down at Mike's shop, and he said uh, we were, we were just chit chatting. Um, super cool guy. Uh, we had similar backgrounds in in the packaging industry, and so we were talking, and he held up his what he said, "Hey, you know what this is?" And I said, like, "Yeah, it's mulberry." And so he started kind of, he's like, oh, it's like, yeah, nice. He's like, I'm surprised you knew that. It's like, I run a sawmill. Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> so he was quizzing me on all these woods. Um, it was like stump the chump. And I, I said something about how I was like, oh, you know what? I've been trying to get a hold of is some um, Osage orange. He's like, I got some. You can have some. So he sent me with a, a couple of chunks of Osage orange. And when I was over at my buddy Greg's this last weekend, um, I had brought him a chunk of that, and it was it was pretty cracked. So I, I didn't, wasn't sure what we were going to do with it, but we needed a jam chuck for something that Greg was turning. He was turning a, a cigar ashtray. So it was like a, a bowl that had two spots for cigars to rest in and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we needed a way to jam chuck it so we could turn the bottom and stuff. And so we grabbed that, that piece of horsetage orange, jam chucked it. Uh, Greg finished the bottom off. Uh, and then he was going to hand sand it. So I was going to turn something I was like, I just really want to see how this Osage orange turns. And this little guy is just what came out of it. Um, it, it right. actually turned, it turned beautifully. Um, it's a little, uh, it's, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe this is Iowa's hardest native wood. Um, it's Osage orange.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so super hard. Uh, it polished really well. It's, even though they call it Osage Orange, it is very yellow. Like, everything looked like I had, like, uh, ground mustard all over everything. I mean, it was just, like, yellow <laughs> as yellow could be. But, yeah, turned that and did a couple little... Uh, Greg had some ebony there, so I did a little ebony foot, ebony top, and then the little ebony finial on yeah. it. So, yeah, so that was that was a fun little project. The best part was when I brought it home and I showed my wife, she looks at it, and she's like... I don't know why you're showing me this. You know I hate the tall, pointy stuff, <laughs> but nice execution.
2: Yeah, good for it's you. Like,
1: Aww,
2: she's like, I'm glad you're happy.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what it was. <laughs> like, are you happy with it? Then I don't care. Yeah. So she just doesn't
2: like. It. I
1: bring home. I bring home my projects. So I'm like, hey mom, look what I made yeah. in class today. Put and that it on has the fridge. To on the mantle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's like I'm hanging my artwork up <laughs> when I bring it home. It's like. Doesn't appreciate it.
0: You need to build a display set of display shelves. That's just for you. Uh,
1: that's another sore <clears throat> point, Phil, because that's what the built-ins in our office were. I have my half of the office and she has her half. And oh. they're not done yet.
0: Right. Oh, right.
1: Yeah. Thanks for bringing it mm-hmm. back up. Pick that
2: scab. Yup. I have the wood to do it. Just haven't done it.
0: So. Do it on video. Yeah, it's true. Apparently, that's the way you get stuff done. Speaking of which, have you
1: worked on your bench, Phil? Like, have you worked on it? Like, physically uh, made something on
0: it? I haven't made something on it. I've done okay. some like shop maintenance stuff using it. Okay. I've had some family in town recently, oh, yeah. so I yeah. haven't had the opportunity. But I was, like, was going to ask you how it was working out. Yeah, I'm pretty excited right now because once uh state fair finishes up here i'm probably going to be like full christmas present mode so it'll be fun i'm looking
1: forward to it yep so i'd be interested to hear your your thoughts on the bench after building it because i think it's going to be <laughs> i talked about building a bench we we both were talking about building a bench and that yeah. you've built yours i'm going to need to build one <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to build it on video I guess well the problem is I'm probably going to have to build it for a Popwood article so I'm going to have to come up with a design and I just love the shaker design so right. it will be a shaker style bench I just don't know what uh-huh. see if I can get Chris Schwarz on the horn and see what bench the you know uh, the Canadians were using back in 1725 and
2: build a historic <laughs> replica there you go, it's made from beaver pelts or something. <laughs> That's right,
1: it's beaver pelt <laughs> rug in the shop. Oh my god, I don't know how I thought of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, so Phil, it's I'd... nature's anti-fatigue mat. Yep.
2: Yep. I saw somebody commented on the bench videos saying that they thought fur was too soft for a top. Do you have any comment
0: on that? As far as um, you know, and I so. In total honesty and full disclosure here, I built the top out of white fir from Logan Mm -hmm. that was a derecho tree. So part of it was sometimes you do woodworking with the materials you have at hand Mm -hmm. and not the materials that you wish you had, otherwise that's never going to happen. So there's a little bit of that, uh, two, uh, Logan and I, did some research on white fur because it's one of those, you don't come across it every day types of materials. And white fur is a little on the soft side, but what it does have going for it is that it's very resistant to bending. It has a, what's the, what is it? High modulus of elasticity. Mm. Mm-hmm. for all the wood nerds in there. And I know that John is secretly quite happy with that phrase. Um, So it's a very stiff or rigid boards when you put them all together. So that was was where I was going for on that. But then I was also kind of channeling the fact that, you know, in the English tradition of woodworking and benches, a lot of their... What they would call like joiners benches were made from pine softwood tops. You know, mm-hmm. there is a very long-standing tradition of having the material that's available to you that you make your bench out of. So, um, so that's kind of why I went with it. I also like the fact that it's really light-colored. The bent, my previous bench had an MDF top that I had wrapped with, uh, I think it was Douglas fir just to give it some strength on the edges, but the MDF isn't real dark, but on the other hand, you know, there's quite a bit of difference between the white fur and the, and MDF, which I really like just to brighten up the shop and have a kind of a higher contrast background when I'm working on stuff. So, um, so yeah, I'll admit it. It's softer than beech or whatever else you want to go with. You know, I know Chris Schwarz espouses Southern Yellow Pine, which, you know, super cool. We've done Douglas Fir Tops, super cool. We've had maple and oak and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I, I don't want to dismiss the the comment but i also feel like there's a lot of chasing around of perfection or idealism mm-hmm. in workbenches in particular that i i think can get in the way of somebody actually just making a workbench and using it right yeah
1: well there's also the there's two different mentalities when it comes to workbench tops like there's those people that say, Hey, you want a hard, solid, heavy workbench top, make it out of ash, make it out of hard maple, make it out of something hard and heavy. But then there's the flip side of the coin is there's the people that say, no, your workbench top should be softer than the material you usually use. So if you use a lot of walnut or whatever, and the the philosophy is that if you drop a part on your bench you want your bench to give before you want your work part to be dinged mm-hmm. yeah so you know as much as i understand the comment it's like well there's two different philosophies and it doesn't ultimately it doesn't really matter i mean if if phil's bench dings up so what i mean who who really cares he can resurface it he mm-hmm. can yeah it it, it's not going to affect it that much
0: yeah and even if i ding it up you know does that degrade the functionality of the bench or is that merely an appearance thing and it's it's an appearance thing because functionally the surface is going to be flat until i flip it upside down and drag it behind a truck you know and i feel like the the construction method that i used on that top is resulting in a pretty I was, well, you helped me move it, Logan. Like we yep. lifted up that top and it had a vice on one corner. Yep. It just does not want to twist. Like it's a, no. it's it very is rigid. super rigid. I was yep. kind of surprised with that and pleased because that's yep. what I was going for. Uh, there was another comment on there about the bench on because I'm making, I have a cabinet base that, uh, If I don't like the height of the bench, there's no real easy way to adjust the height of the bench. Um, You know, whereas if you have a cabinet or if you have a workbench base and it's basically legs or something like that, you could cut it shorter, block it up or whatever. But, and again, I know that that's, you know, a workbench is a big investment in time and effort and things like that and you want to get it right i i get that i spent a long time thinking about this bench before i finally built it however you know i work worked on my bench at home and i worked at i don't know four different benches here and you go back and forth to them and it's not like i can change the height of the benches in the shop here Mm -mm. or on the studio set so what that ended up teaching me was to a certain extent, workbench height doesn't really matter because you'll just get used to it. It just kind of is, you know, um, cause my bench at home, I made lower because that was the prevailing wisdom of the time is so that it's easier for hand planing, and it, yep. I can see where that's the case. However, there's a lot of other tasks that I do at my workbench that occupy easily half of the time or more than half the time we're having a low bench like that is not as ideal. So the bench that I, my new one now is a few inches taller and I'll still be able to hand plane on it because I know that there's benches across the street here at Woodsmith that I've used for a lot of hand planing that are taller than the bench that I just built and it's okay.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that workbench height argument—that oh, it needs to be low for hand planing—it's it's kind of an antiquated thought, in my opinion. Because how often are you standing there all day hand planing? Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? Like that's where I could see it making a difference. Um, and I say it's an antiquated thought because nobody's most people don't make their living standing at their bench anymore.
0: Yeah. So, and there's just only a smaller percentage of woodworkers who are doing heavy surfacing and thicknessing with a hand plane exactly,
1: yeah, and for those people, yeah, it makes sense, but when somebody's like, "Oh, your workbench is way too tall, it's like not for how I work, it's not yeah because it i mean i've seen I've seen a couple guys that have made really tall benches like belly button height because they're doing a lot of like routing and stuff, and for them it's it's easier to To have the elbows Mm -hmm. you know at 90 degrees it's more comfortable than fully extended so yeah you know i don't know
0: yeah well john you just designed a bench that'll be coming up in uh woodsmith in a few issues Mm -hmm. what where did you settle on for the height on that bench uh
2: i think 36 inches yeah so pretty average height not too short not too tall and i think that's what mine is at home and Seems pretty good for general purpose use. So, right. But yeah, I'm sure people that are tall or taller or shorter than average would or might adjust that. But I don't know. Like you said, for the most part, you just kind of get used to it. No matter what the height of the bench is, it's just, yeah, that's what it is. So. And I would assume like, if you're a building, like your bench, if you're going to the trouble to build all that, you've kind of experienced, you know, what you want to work at and you're pretty locked in at the height. So.
0: Yeah. And that was, see, like the, the big thing that I found was, you know, like I've been woodworking for a while now, so I knew kind of exactly what I wanted Mm -hmm. in the bench. And I realize that if you're just starting out in woodworking and building a new bench, that you don't have that experience to draw from. But on the other hand, I do feel like if you're within, you know, four three to four inches, you're going to make it work, and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I'm excited about being able to start using it more significantly. So.
1: Really cool. I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts are because, like I said, I need, to, I need to start working on the design
0: for one. So, Yeah. John, you got any woodworking updates?
2: No, I was just thinking about that because it seems like the last week or two, haven't spent a lot of time in the shop, just trying to squeeze the last little bit of life out of summer before the kids and wife go back to school. And (laughs) so it's whatever they've wanted to do on the off times we've done. So, but I'll be ready for them to head back to school here in a few weeks and then have a little bit of me time back in the shop and working at home and working here. So
0: there you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you done any milling recently Logan? No you know like
1: I've, I feel like I've done I've done a ton of turning lately yeah uh, which has been really nice. Uh, I knew, I've had it such a busy summer that I really needed it. <laughs> I'm working on a uh, hollow vessel across the street right now kind of in between doing photos with Dylan for an article um, and I'm doing that to uh, kind of get prepared for an upcoming article on deep vessel hollowing. Oh sure, for popwood uh, because I mean, hollowing something like this is a lot different than hollowing a, say, a vase that's ten or twelve inches tall. Sure. completely different animals. So I have a hollowing system from Lyle Jamison that I'm uh, going to be doing an article on, which will be really cool. Um, but no, I've I haven't been milling at all recently. And actually, I'm uh, going to take tomorrow and Monday off uh, to do some. Um, I've had a couple of guys. I, I've been so busy this summer um i've had a bunch of people getting a hold of me to mill for them um and i have kind of pushed everybody off till august and i told everybody like look i'm i'm really busy until august so now my august is really busy from catching up on milling jobs so this uh this weekend i got a bunch of trees up north by ames to go mill um for my buddy clay up in ames um So it'll be interesting i don't know exactly what trees they are he sent me a picture um but uh i think i've mentioned clay uh it goes by the blind guy woodworking i believe uh he's blind obviously and so he can't necessarily tell me exactly what trees they are because they're on his um like his friend's sister's property so gonna have to figure out what those are and go mill them and then got a bunch of uh we did that land clearing job a couple of months back, and we still have a bunch of those white oaks to get through. So, I got some six by six beams I have to cut out of those white oaks. Uh, we're going to do that tomorrow. Um, my buddy just bought a house, so uh, we're going to use some of those six by sixes and cut them into like flooring. Or, not the six by sixes, some of the white oak and cut it into flooring uh, for his new house. So, so it's enough to go have it kiln dried somewhere. So, so I have not been milling lately, but we're getting ready to run the mill pretty hard over the next couple weeks. It needs an oil change tonight.
0: Ah, so. uh, cool.
1: Yeah. So, yep. No, nope, I've been trying to been trying to scooch my lumber out of my one side of my driveway um, <laughs> to the other side of my driveway, so I can kind of prep my area a little bit better, either for. Shop if we're gonna do it, or just to to smooth it out and have a better lumber storage area. Um, Gonna have to drop a bunch of tree. I have. There's probably ten to twelve trees that are gonna need to come down to to make this a little bit nicer area. So they're all damaged walnuts, anyways. So at some point they're gonna die and start dropping limbs. Some of them have. So you know, you get these weird trees that have cracks. You can see, you know. 15 feet up there's a huge crack in the tree it's like oh no like they didn't come down in the derecho right and they were cracked before the derecho so i don't even know if they're gonna be usable but we'll see
0: yeah cool
1: yeah say phil do you have any you don't have Well, you got a couple video projects going on but like your workbench was the big one yep the mid-century cabinet was another
0: yep One One you're working on.
1: Usually you got like two or three going on at a time. And (sighs) I think you're getting
0: a little low now. I am. I've actually finished up stuff. I took a bunch of things home from that. I had been working on here. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch more space in the video studio. So nature abhors a vacuum. So at some point it will get filled up with other stuff. Yep. So Hmm. like I said, I have Christmas projects to work on and I'm still, this allows me now to, hopefully finish up the router mortising machine that I've been working on. So I'm closing in on the last few steps on that. So that one, I think will be fun to have finished up and be able to take home. Yeah.
1: You know, now that you mentioned that real quick down to diverge, but did we mention that Porter cable, the Porter cable line is now kaput?
0: Um, I don't remember if we talked about that last time or not.
1: Newsflash to everybody that's listening: If you guys didn't hear, Porter Cable is going to be discontinued. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Stanley Black owns it, right? Yeah. So I think Porter Cable is getting shut down. Uh, so
2: that makes sense. I was looking for their like standard router on Amazon that because somebody asked like what we were using in one of the sh- the photos or something. I was trying to source it and I could not find it. Anywhere, and so that makes sense. Yeah. So
0: now I know. Knowing that's sat a the battle. Mm-hmm. Kind of see the end of a, a great power tool brand. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: yeah I think uh, I know the seventy-five eighteen, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, They're big, three, three and a half horse, whatever it is, router. I know a couple manufacturers have picked up on that already. So I think it, the legacy will live on. Right. But I think creative brand, destruction. Yep. And I, I don't know how long the brand will continue to float along, but from what I have heard, Stanley is or Stanley Black and Decker is shutting down the Porter cable line.
2: Yeah. It's probably cause everything's battery powered now. They don't need the cable anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. just putting that out of business. Just Porter.
1: Oh god! I did not have my sound. Effects oh, you got to be ready! One. Dang it! <laughs> you got to be ready with the
2: rim shot there. You don't Dang know it. when it's going to come. So, <laughs> waiting in the weeds over here. <laughs> sorry, <Yeah. laughs>
1: I wasn't ready for that one. Dang it! Drop the ball again. Yep. Okay, we'll get it next time. Yeah. Yep. Okay.
0: So. All right. I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have any questions comments or smart remarks you can leave them in the comments section on our youtube channel where you can see the video version of this podcast otherwise subscribe to the podcast wherever you would get your podcasts from apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud stitcher wherever all your local artisanal podcast shops um Otherwise, you can also email comments to woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Just a reminder that today's episode has been brought to you by Shaper Tools. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin. It's a handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. You can tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You could try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Just visit shapertools.com to learn more. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Bye, everybody.